Are you living the crazy life of a sports parent? This is Sports Parenthood, the podcast packed with cool conversations with sports people, coaches and professionals for rookie sports parents just like you. You'll hear nuggets of gold in every episode with your hosts, fellow sports parents, John and Tiffany Bonacera. Really, I I feel like if I was being given a report card as a sporting parent, it would be a B plus and the comment would be, Robin tries hard, but is not a naturally talented pentathlon parent. (laughs) Oh, wow. That's, That's a lot better than not working to ability. In this episode, you'll hear from Robin Carrier. Her daughter Marina competed in the modern pentathlon in Tokyo, where she claimed 27th place in her Olympic debut. Robin speaks candidly about what it's like being a sports parent of an athlete at these most unusual games. What was it like watching her daughter from their home in Sydney and how did the Carrier family celebrate the Olympics? Now that Mm -hmm. is a story you'll want to listen out for. And the thoughtful ways in which the Carrier family showed their support for their daughter Marina when they couldn't be there in person. Robin shares with us how hard it can be to be a sports parent, especially when things aren't necessarily going to plan, along with the absolute joy when things do. Robin says it was touch and go whether Marina would even make it to the Games and is in awe of the guts and determination that got her there in the end. Every athlete has a backstory and Robin brings a parent's perspective to that. From the sliding doors moment when Marina first heard of the sport, to qualifying for the Nanjing 2014 Youth Olympic Games when she was 17 as Australia's first ever female Youth Olympic Games modern pentathlete. And now an Olympian. The path has been both brilliant and bumpy. You'll love Robin's one piece of advice for sports parents, but first, that feeling when the Olympics finally got underway. Okay, so look, really just huge acceleration at being part of something greater than yourself. Also enormous pride in the really gutsy determination that it took for these Olympians to even get there. They just worked so bloody hard to even get to Tokyo. Yeah, so can you give us any insight into that? I mean, I know sort of we're talking about your daughter in particular, but I I know probably as a parent you have kind of broader insight as well. I think the challenges that the this bunch of Olympians faced were many and varied, and I mean, as many yes, it is many yeah, many stories. Like if there are four hundred and eighty Olympians, which I think was roughly the ballpark of how many there were, I think there's probably four hundred and eighty different stories. But just a little <laughs> a little story from Marina's case. One of the five sports in pentathlon is swimming, two hundred meters. And, of course, last year all the pools shut down. So she was swimming off Freshwater Beach. She was fortunately swimming with a bunch of guys, masters, who normally swam at North Sydney Pool. So she wasn't alone, so that was a big thing. Mm -hmm. Tick, yep. But, yeah, you know, swimming in the ocean is not really the way to prepare for a 200-metre swimming race, especially when – no, in Japan, in Tokyo, they were doing a short course. It was off uh, in a 25-metre pool. So, you know, you don't get to bounce off many walls or do tumble turns at Freshwater Beach. No, you do not. No. <laughs> and uh, so that is an interesting thing. I think it would be a great place to dig in now, Robin, and actually speak a little bit more about modern pentathlon. And if you wouldn't mind sharing 
some depth uh, about the event itself and, and what it's based on and, and what it involves? Look, the pentathlon competition normally spans a single day and it begins with fencing every athlete in the field in a one-hit duel or bout. And then that is followed by a 200-metre swim. Then you complete a show jumping round on an unknown horse. Mm. Then these the points from these three separate events then add up to seed your starting position going into the combined run shoot where you must shoot five. In fact, I, I should have almost said people need to get a notepad. Yeah. <laughs> but but uh, anyway, so, so far we're just up to the run shoot yeah. where you're, you seed it. The complication is that you have to shoot five scoring targets with a laser pistol before running your 800 metres, and you do that four times. So it's a total run of 3.2K. 3.2K. Yeah, yeah. Look, the thing that makes it such an exciting sport is that it is first over the line. After you've been competing all day with all those various events, it's um, first over the line. So So, so prior to that, if I could clarify there, just Mm -hmm. so is it if – uh, let's talk about the positions that you've come in from your swim, from your equestrian, et cetera. Is it then yep. a, like a time-seated hmm. thing where you start your run, you know, after people or before people, depending on where you're currently ranked? Absolutely, yes, yes. So if you're sitting on a 1,000 points, then you will run off behind somebody who's sitting on a 1,020 or 1,100. Okay, and, okay. Um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's... A sport where you can have somebody who's a very, very strong fencer and they start the day on high points, but then as the day goes by, they might be a really poor swimmer or, you know, maybe swimming is just their weakest link. And where it becomes pretty exciting for an athlete like uh, Marina, well, normally the run shoot is her strongest Mm -hmm. leg. So what can happen is she can start off as runner number 21 or 23 and she will with normal levels of fitness and training she can mow the field down and that's where it gets really exciting because you can mow it down 11 12 spots yeah so, that, that's incredible isn't it yeah yeah it, it is indeed so it's, 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 it's not dissimilar to what Chloe Esposito did four five years ago <gasps> Yeah, look, absolutely. She, I think she ran off at about from seventh spot. Okay. Rio was uh, her third Olympic Games. She had been to, I think, Barcelona, certainly London 2012. So, you know, she was very, very well conditioned, very experienced and had worked very hard by the time Rio came around. Yeah, and she ran off seven and that is exactly what right. she did. She just made him down. Yeah, she concentrated on the process. She mowed them down. And, you know, if you're uh, running off as number one or two, you've got enormous pressure on you because you know you're being hunted down by those people behind you. Whereas in Chloe's position, she she did what she had to do. She just did her stuff and did it so brilliantly. It was amazing. I think it's one of those moments we'll certainly never forget sitting in our pyjamas watching Chloe win in Tokyo. Oh, sorry, at Rio. <laughs> Yeah, a hundred percent. I was just about to say, Robin, if if you can, because it is so wide and varied and, and such a difficult thing to train for, could you give us a little bit of insight into what Marina uh, would do normally and, and potentially what she has been doing under COVID conditions to prepare for these games? 
Okay. Well, normally she would train two to four times a day, seven days a week. And, you know, it involved a lot of running across uni campus with sore legs and wet hair and a mm. sword in one hand and pistol in the other. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bit ominous, isn't it? <laughs> it's a bit jazz, isn't it? Uh, Pretty wild woman and and, uh, actually a a funny little side story here is that Marina, you know, there wasn't a dedicated laser pistol range at Sydney Uni. I mean, Sydney Uni um, and the Athletics Club has been absolutely amazing, but Marina had to train in the rugby guys changing room. Now, this caused some very interesting moments when you had the blokes coming back in from training and found that they had a young woman aiming a laser pistol at their heads when they were sort of having a shower. Just picturing it. That's amazing. So you kind of um, make do with the facilities. Is that what you're saying? And and kind of, yep, fit it all in where you can. In different Mm -hmm. countries, there would be different levels of facilities. And Australia, I mean, I have to say here that in the last three Mm -hmm. months, Marina was in the very, very fortunate position of going down to train at the AIS. Now that stepped it up to a whole different level where, you know, you had absolutely beautiful facilities and so on. But really for marinas, for this sport in Mm -hmm. Australia, you really do piece it together as best you can. And, you know, if the rugby men's change room is the place to train, then that's where you go. (laughs) It's such an interesting sport, and it does have kind of a, a kind of a would you say historic element to it, particularly um, at the Olympics. Oh, look, it definitely does. When the modern Olympics were, you know, the, the idea of the modern Olympics were floated, it was a very militaristic era, and uh, Baron Pierre de Coubertin, mm. who was the founder of the modern Olympics, really sort of espoused the model of the versatile and all-round athlete, and. In his mind, um, modern pentathlon encapsulated that Mm. strength. And it's an easier sport to understand when you understand that it's based on the ideal of, you know, a male soldier, of course, Mm -hmm. back in the day. A great soldier. Um, Of course. Behind enemy lines where, you know, he has to jump on a horse and it's not a horse that he knows. He then has to sort of ride like the wind, slip off the horse, fight a sword fight, swim the river and then run shoot the way to, you know, back to safety um, essentially yeah to safety etc yeah so it is an easier sport to understand in that context Mm, for mm, sure mm. it has morphed over the years Mm -hmm. very nicely really I might add to start off with it was probably a whole stack less spectator friendly in that the run and the shoot were combined it must have been sometime in the last decade like maybe around about 2011 or 12 because Mm -hmm. when Marina first picked this sport up the, the running and the shooting were two separate things. And also the shooting was with, it was air pistol with little pellets, whereas it's become much more, I suppose, user-friendly too in that the laser doesn't scare parents quite as much. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of which, coming back to parents, mm-hmm. and now that our, our listeners know a little bit more about modern pentathlon, if they didn't already, tell us what it was like watching Marina compete at the Olympics and how you felt and how your husband felt, obviously uh, being kind of alongside her that whole way, when I guess it was all over. I'd have to say, in a word, probably tense. Uh-huh. It was, it was a really strange feeling watching from home. We actually made quite a big, 
effort in our own setting at home to change where we would watch this thing happen because I said to Gavin, it would just feel too sad for us to be sitting on the couch in the TV room and, and watching it like it was any old TV program. So we actually took the lead from um, a bit of help from Channel 7 and projected onto our inside wall the live event or streamed it. and cool. sat <laughs> it was really, it was pretty good actually. It was a, a nice big white wall where, you know, the whole wall was. But when she was doing the sort of fencing and the the riding, it felt like she was going to leap into the room. So amazing! <laughs> yeah, that's that, awesome. That that was pretty cool. In that you know we probably got a much better view than had we been in Tokyo. But, True. And also the bonus of a glass of wine was really you know a big one. Yeah, big, big bonus. Big bonus. Big bonus. That, that definitely, um, yeah, yeah. I would have to say the tension that was there, and then afterwards, it was oh, it's really complicated. Afterwards, it was relief. It yeah. was. It was. We were just so thrilled that she had really conducted herself in you know with good grace and and you know total effort. So there was a mm. there were a lot of mixed feelings there. I'm actually quite getting quite teary, sorry. <laughs> I always end up crying. <laughs> sorry, John, go ahead. As you alluded to, unfortunately, parents were unable to travel to the games. Mm-hmm. But you came up with an idea to let Marina know you were right there beside her and we'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah, thank you. We had to really think about this hard because we knew that, you know, as the months went by, not only were we not going to Tokyo but all sorts of other plans that we'd put into place just weren't even going to happen. And Marina had planned to come home three days before, come back from the AIS and just have a have a bit of time out at home just to be looked after and yeah. and then we were going to, you know, hug her and send her off. And as it turned out, Sydney uh, went into lockdown. She couldn't even come yes. home. She had to fly home. Uh, she, sorry, she had to fly from Canberra to Sydney she had to stay overnight in the Mantra Hotel before flying out. So, you know, we sort of thought, well, what can we do? We didn't want to make it anything too crazy, the gesture. We just wanted something, some reminders. So um, I Googled customized silicon wristbands and it was quite delighted to find that they're only about, you know, eight cents a unit if you ordered 10,000 of them. <laughs> <laughs> So, oh well, in for a penny, in for a pound. So indeed, um, we <laughs> so we we customized or put in an order for for two different customized wristbands. One was a yellow one, obviously the gold that said, you know, Tokyo fifth of sixth of August because that's when she was competing, and a symbol of a stag, which I'll I'll get back to, but the simple message was enjoy the moment, and that's. We were, cool. <laughs> we were really chuffed that um, in, if you look at the footage of the fencing, and I think that the BBC commentator might have actually mentioned this, she looked down at her, the yellow wristband and smiled mm-hmm. and then went on to compete and it was sort of like a touchstone. So, yeah. Yeah, so that, that worked really well. But the, That's beautiful. Oh, thank you. We, we were pretty chuffed and there were other things. We actually had to time these little gestures so that, you know, we put quite a lot of thought into when she would receive these things and we figured that she was flying into Tokyo on 
a Saturday, a Saturday night, and she would be getting in pretty late. And by the time they got to the village, it was probably going to be one, one thirty, and get to bed and so on. And, you know, it was very, very tough for her because she started off tired and a bit brought anyway. And um, by the time she got to bed, she was woken up four hours later by the anti-doping agency who wanted a urine sample. Uh, <laughs> yeah. and The necessary evils. Oh, you would be well and truly familiar with this. You know, you, you've got an audience for your urine sample mm. and, uh, you know, it's very hard to perform on the spur of the moment. So, <laughs> so yes. that can be tough. So she was woken up, you know, with really inadequate sleep. And, and so I think Sunday, the first day, we suspected would be just, just a blur and it was. And then Monday we thought, well, she'll be getting the hang of, where the training facilities are and, mm. you know, so on. And we figured that there would be a bit of a down spot there because she wasn't competing until Thursday. So we, on top of the wristbands, we also ordered a necklace that, not that she wears a lot of jewellery, but, you know, she, she, we knew that she would like this symbol. The stag is a symbol, a Celtic symbol of strength and so on, the beautiful stag. And Gavin... Marina's dad, my husband, is Scottish. So we okay. felt that that symbolised strength and the Celtic side as well as the, the Aussie side because that can get a little bit lost in the rah-rah Aussie mix, you know. So okay. on the, the, um, the present on the, the Monday that her fencing coach, Joe Ratchaborski, made sure she got it right at the correct moment was this beautiful pewter stag on a necklace. Aww. So, Yeah. <laughs> Has Marina since kind of um, made comment or, you know, uh, about how she felt about those gestures? Definitely, mm. yeah. She said that the timing was just perfect. Mm. She had been at quite a, a low ebb when she received, particularly the necklace, I think. It, it seemed to have been, you know, quite a rough preparation. I mean, this is something that wasn't widely known that she had been on crutches seven weeks before she couldn't walk. It was touch and go whether she would even get there. So she worked incredibly hard, as did the a great big team of AIS people, to make sure that she got the sign-off to get to Tokyo. But, you know, I think there was this over feeling that, you know, the biggest competition of her life, the one that mattered most mm. certainly to date, that after a decade of training yeah. that it had come to this, that she hadn't even run 3.2Ks in probably a good couple of months, wow. well, certainly since she'd been on crutches anyway. So, yeah, to answer your question, the timing of it was very good in that that afternoon after she had um, opened the, she actually rang us on FaceTime and she said, oh, you know, I've got this present here. And we went, oh, right. And um, I put it in a box from some surf wallet from a few Christmases ago or something like that and sort of shaped like a video. And, and she said, oh, looks like you're giving me the latest, you know, box set of David Attenborough, Life on Earth or something. <laughs> and we went, yeah, yeah, you know, the update on the Lyre Pluridon because um, when Marina was young, she was really addicted to David Attenborough videos. <laughs> anyway, she, um, she proceeded to unravel all the different layers and the, the outside layer, I might add, was a really stupid a piece of gift paper that I would never normally use, um, use. But Joe, who was actually at the games with her, her fencing coach, had said, oh, look, Robin, just make, you know, 
a, a card or whatever it is, make it really lighthearted. So I wrapped it in this ridiculous paper. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, anyway, she opened it up and burst into tears Aww. and just said, that means so much. Oh, under- understandably. Rob, Robin, <laughs> yourself and Gavin obviously sound really connected to Marina. I- I'm really curious as to how you managed your own emotions like throughout this and obviously it goes without saying that parents and the investment that you put in and I don't refer to it financially I mean emotional not being able to go to such a prestigious moment and something that potentially you've put a decade's worth of effort into as well how did you manage yourselves and and your messaging to Marina during that time? Yeah look initially I think we were gutted definitely well certainly on my part I take great strength from Victorian side of my family, my mother's side of the family. They were really practical Victorian farmers, graziers and so on. And, you know, they worked hard. And I don't know, I think there's sometimes you can sort of look back at either people you admire or family and get great strength from that. So I actually thought of my mother who had you know, she'd been through the depression. She'd been through World mm. War Two. She, you know, they, mm. they'd gone through all this stuff, and yet came out the other side pretty, pretty positive. So, you know, I started to think, look, okay, it's you know not the end of the world. And also, I did actually get a bit fed up with feeling miserable. Mm. Um, it takes a lot of energy to Naturally. be miserable. Mm. Mm. It does. And so, <laughs> so I thought, okay, what what can I do? And and the mind started ticking, and I immediately also thought of how last year in April 2020, Anzac Day was celebrated in really creative and very uplifting ways. Mm-hmm. And yes. I remember seeing an Im- image last year where somebody had projected onto their house just an image of the Flanders poppy or po- mm. a bunch yeah. of poppies and just the way that also all sorts of people celebrated in the tiniest ways mm. but really meaningful, like, you know, two, two deck chairs sitting in front of their garage yeah, with a tea light candle. Yep. And, and yeah, yeah. And um, that really struck me that the ABC coverage from that morning was really profound and very moving. So I thought, look, you know, maybe we don't have to be in Tokyo actually watching that opening ceremony or they're sucking up the atmosphere. Maybe we can create it here. So I just came up with a plan and that, I think, gave me a lot of focus and certainly Gavin, he, as usual, Gavin sort of got roped into the master plan. <laughs> <laughs> he had to kind of help make it work. So tell us what the master plan is, Robin. Okay, the master plan, it started off as projecting onto a wall of the house, except that I had no technical expertise to know how to do it. So that was the first battle uh, or challenge. Was it the Olympic rings? Well, yeah, it started off, it was actually going to be the Olympic rings, yes. Uh-huh. And then, as Gavin and I talked about it, we thought, well, you know, why don't we have our own torch relay and cauldron lighting? Yeah, that sounds like fun. Always wanted a fire pit. So, <laughs> so that also, we added the little bit of a torch relay and the cauldron lighting or, you know, this is the way we were thinking. And then we thought, oh, how cool it would be to have the torch relay and the lighting of the cauldron and simultaneously, you know, nothing if not ambitious, let's have the (laughs) projections come onto the house of the Olympic images at the same time. Let's have it all happening at once, you know. And let's have it filmed by Channel 7. So anyway. Tell us how it planned it panned out. 
It was fantastic in the end with a heap of help, a heap of help from Channel 7, who I think they realised pretty quickly how technologically challenged we were. (laughs) (laughs) They very kindly sent one of their lovely techie people, Chris, who came and checked everything out and said, yeah, look, I think I agree. I think that that wall is the one to project onto. And bottom line was that the torch relay was really simple but really symbolic. Gavin um, had the torch not directly passed it to him because we had to be COVID safe, but he, you know, retrieved the, the torch from where it had been plonked down and ran up our front steps and faced <laughs> the, the neighbours in the street and people who happened to be exercising COVIDly safely. Oh, of and uh, Of course. And uh, then uh, ran up further to the cauldron or the fire pit in our front garden and uh, lit it. And, um, yeah, we had the, <laughs> the projections come on at the same time. So That's cool so that. cool. Is there, is there any way we can get some, uh, get some footage of this, Robin? Definitely. Channel 7 has that, me. That's very cool. I'd love to see that. I, I didn't, unfortunately. I saw a fair bit of the Olympics, but I did not see that. <laughs> well, it was, you know, very small corner of uh, Sydney. and uh, But, you know, really after that, there was some really positive spin-offs of that. One is We Felt Great, you know. Great, perfect. So that was, that was uh, a wonderful thing. But even more importantly, for the neighbourhood and some of the texts and the, the thank yous, yeah. uh, the profoundly grateful thank yous that I received, one from somebody down the road who's actually got a son, well, four sons actually. I think three out of the four are rowers and one is a rugby player. So they're a pretty talented family in themselves. But um, mm. I got a beautiful text saying, thank you for bringing joy to our neighbourhood. Thank you for bringing the Olympic spirit. Thank you for giving us something to, you know, focus on and in our street and our neighbourhood. So that was, that was great. Yeah. How cool is that? I'm sorry, I'm crying again. I think that's such a wonderfully creative thing and, uh, yeah, as you said, a, a previously meaningful thing to do and lots of people will really remember that with so fondly. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, it, it actually became, funnily enough, it, it grew bigger than Ben-Hur. We, we ended up having <laughs> repeat performances. Like every <laughs> night at 5.30 we had to go, oh, <laughs> <laughs> And the projector now, you know, because um, we we had we had we simply did have requests, and uh, once the word got around, people started exercising down our street. Of course, um, they did. Yeah. Right at that time, perfect timing for their exercise. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, I suppose also that the the upside was Channel Seven. Actually, I shouldn't have thanked only the techie side because uh, it was all sorts of people made it happen right from the very top all the way through. But um, one of the editors took all sorts of photos and footage that um, Marina had put together a thing called Pentathlon in 45 seconds. And, um, you know, if you Google Pentathlon in 45 Mm. seconds, dash Marina Carrier, up it comes on YouTube. But he'd Mm. taken that and he'd edited, you know, the active action footage with the stills. And uh, people actually said, oh, now we understand what that sport's about because they could see her in action Mm. on on the house. And um, I did have to actually get on the garage roof. It's a very slopey one, a bit dodgy and Uh painted charcoal wall bright white. But anyway. I bet you when you set out as a sports parent, that was probably not one of the things on the list. (laughs) 
Can I say never? Uh, no, no, I wouldn't have thought never, so. Never, never did I envisage that. <laughs> now, Robin, I'm really keen to just delve a little bit, well, not a little bit, however we want to delve into Marina's mm-hmm. actual performance and putting it into to the context of, uh, I guess, you know, people's thoughts around Olympics and we've talked about this offline. So uh, mm. Marina finished 27th overall and, mm-hmm. and when you said that, you know, you, you were ecstatic about her performance and, and we mm. talked about it and, and you have alluded to it that um, everyone has their backstory. And, um, yes. yeah, tell us about that. First of all, need to hand a gigantic um, bouquet of thanks to um, Joe Ratchaborski, the fencing coach, because Marina came to fencing as a total, well, novice, like not even a novice. novice. She just was a, yeah, non, non-fencer. Never done it. Because, no. Now, um, she had done, uh, Marina had had a previous fencing coach who, who laid, you know, a really good foundation. And Joe, though, I was able to take her and work out what it took to press her buttons to mm-hmm lift her performance. So, you know, we were kind of used to going, oh, well, you know, it's the fence, she'll get what she gets. So she put in a very, very solid fence at the Olympics, mm-hmm. which, look, we stood there watching it going, whoa, whoa, this is, this is, this is really good. Mm. You know, we're, we're sort of, so we're very happy with Pleasantly that. Pleasantly surprised. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. And look, we, we had, I suppose we had realistic expectations of that. You know, we knew she'd give it, everything she had, but we also knew that she was up against the world's best fences and some of them are just phenomenal. You know, you've got people in the modern pentathlon cohort who are just world number one fences potentially in their own right Mm. of, you know, fencing. So that was that. And then uh, the swim was a really solid swim. It was in the ballpark of what you'd expect. Mm -hmm. And once again, there are some uh, really fast swimmers Mm -hmm. and there are also slower swimmers. So we kind of were like, yep, okay. Good, yep. On on track, good. Tick that one off. The riding is always probably a very big X factor because pentathlon is based on the ideal of you have to get to know your horse very quickly. You have to make it, find out, you know, what what sort of horse it is. Is it a forward horse? Is it a horse that, you know, doesn't, doesn't need much encouragement mm. because it's going to do the job anyway? And a lot of these horses are so great that, you know, they will do the job if you let them apparently. Now I'm I'm not I have to say here, I'm not a, an experienced rider. I mean I, we ride, but we just sit on horses and go where they want to take us. But um, <laughs> so, so, us. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> you know, Rena's riding coach is really the one to be talking to this point. However, I think he would agree, yes, you do need to get the measure of your horse quickly. And you've also never, of course, ridden the course before and you've got a very brief mm. period of time to to get to know that course. Things were a little bit heightened in this case because Simon Kale, Marina's riding coach, was not in Tokyo. He, you know, for one reason or another with the accreditations, he couldn't be there. So it all had to be done remotely. So he had to, on the day of the owner's round, which is two to three days before the pentathlon itself, he had to review 26 videos and work out, you know, how these horses went and, you know, write notes to each, you know, for each horse. Yeah, there's a bit of tension there. So when we saw Marina had drawn the same horse as the Brazilian girl who basically the horse was refusing jumps, the poor girl, she uh, came off Mm. the horse and she was eliminated. So, you know, we're sitting there 
uh, our nerves were beyond frayed. They yeah, were just, no doubt. Yeah. So we, we were nervous wrecks watching that. So as she progressed around the show jumping ring and, you know, with each jump, she was showing that she had the whole thing under control and she was keeping it together. We were, in the end, we were on our feet just with mm. exultation. So, you know, at the end of that, the big smile, and, and look, to be fair, there was also a big smile and, you know, very happy looking Marina at the end of the fencing. But at the end of the ride, boy, that fist pump, the takeaway moment for, for me, that, that, that was it, mm. that one. So I, I was just so, so relieved, thrilled. It was pure exhilaration and joy at seeing what we'd seen. So going into the run shoot, you, you're seated based on the you know, performance of the previous um, three sports. We were incredibly excited because we hadn't even dared think about this. We hadn't even – look, it wasn't even on our radar that Marina could – we, we were just going to be very pleased if she finished strongly. That's, mm -hmm. It wasn't rhetoric. That's actually what True. we believed. So going in at uh, number 10, you know, given that she normally runs off number 21, we were like, huh, wow. there are possibilities here that we haven't even considered. And we did actually get a text from Kitty Chiller at that point going, wow, this is this is pretty good. Pretty cool. Yeah, not kidding. <laughs> exactly. Not kidding. Pretty cool. So for about, you know, 10 minutes we were, we, we didn't, it was like we had ants in our pants. We didn't even know how to watch this thing because, wow. Then, of course, off they went and it was BBC coverage and it was almost our worst nightmare in that we've had it before where the coverage just stops or we don't know what's happened. Yeah. You know, Marina's competing in a European time zone and something kicks in or the internet goes down and it can be sometimes ages before we know, mm. you know, why she got that result, whatever. Now, all we knew was what we were watching was that she'd run off 10th and she was in a good position. We knew to mow them. Well, I shouldn't say mow them down. That sounds really terrible, but you know what I mean. Yeah. We know. So she, yeah. And uh, the BBC were covering the first five people and Kate French was a, um, you know, a favourite. So naturally they were covering their favourite. But we just didn't know what was happening because her name wasn't being mentioned and we weren't seeing her. We weren't seeing her coming out of the, the laser shooting area. So it was what is what is happening? And that's exactly what we were just sort of wondering and looking at each other. That was we'd gone from the it was sort of like the ecstasy to the agony in that mm -hmm. sense, mm -hmm. all in the period of 15 minutes, Jeez. <laughs> which I suppose any, yeah. any parent of an Olympian can do. In fact, you could probably do it in a microsecond if you're a swimmer, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> parents of a swimmer. Yeah, maybe. Uh, yeah. It was actually with great pride that I realised she'd finished and finished at 27th place and hadn't, you know, given that – Mm. What we suspected might have happened was that the injuries and the lack of competition, international competition, because she hadn't competed internationally mm. since the end of 2019, that it potentially was that that, that kicked in. That, either that or equipment failure or yep. both. <laughs> Gee, that's tough. Yeah. Yeah. But she did really well. <laughs> she did. I was just about to say. <laughs> she did really well. But let's be, let's be really frank about it from the beginning. Competing at the Olympics, full stop is doing extraordinarily well, regardless of potential disappointment on the day and obviously the challenges that Marina's faced 
in actually just getting there. So 27th is awesome, in fact. Oh, thank you. Well, you know, that is entirely how we felt. Mm-hmm. That, you know, anybody who lined up at the start of that Olympic Games was already a winner. Starting Absolutely. Yeah, so that's you know where we were coming from and so especially knowing the backstory we were ah just so over the moon it was funny because for anybody who didn't know the backstory they were kind of like oh right okay is a is a raw number on a page 27 doesn't look you know it doesn't set the world on fire with excitement i suppose but you know we were just blown away by the sheer grit and determination and gutsiness that had got her to cross that line in that place despite those setbacks. Wow, you say that well and I'm tearing up again. (laughs) Well, while Tiff's tearing up, Robin, I will ask because I imagine a lot of people would love to know this. How do you, or how did Marina in particular, get started in modern pentathlon? Because it's, it's not your average everyday sport that someone finds. It really was the ultimate sliding doors moment. We worked for two years overseas. A year of that was in England. And we were down in the south of England and we were being taken on a tour of the high school. And the English master, it was quite funny because he was this sort of quite rotund, you know, plump guy with quite a plummy accent, lovely, lovely person called Martin Tippetts. And uh, Mr. Tippetts. Very English, isn't very, it? Very English. <laughs> he looked at us and, and, and he said, oh, you're Australian. I suppose you'll do that running, shooting, riding thing. And, um, <laughs> and uh, Marina looked at me and she mouthed, what does he mean? And I just shrugged and I went, I don't know. And, uh, you know, that moment when he said that, I thought, gosh, you know, we're just not going to cut it here. We don't have a horse. Daddy doesn't have a gun cupboard. What's going to happen? (laughs) But um, anyway, so she just thought this was the coolest sounding thing. And so did we actually. And as it turned out, the school, it was in the lead up to London 2012. So so British schools were really well funded for sports. And I think this particular school had been so clever and they had attracted swimmers. And they had also decided that modern pentathlon was something they were going to specialise in. So they put in a fantastic director of modern pentathlon. And Marina is a lefty, a left-hander. And the director of modern pentathlon had just bought himself a new, well, at the time it was an air pistol, and said, oh, you know, you're a lefty here. You can use my brand new pistol. Oh, thank you. Okay, that's nice. (laughs) And also gave her an instant friendship group because she had a group to run with. She had a group. At lunchtime, she would go and, you know, have a, a fencing lesson. On a Tuesday afternoon, they'd all bundle into a little minibus over the border to um, uh, Cornwall and one of the kids, their parents ran a riding school and, you know, they did sort of pony club type stuff and had a lot of fun. And mm. uh, It does sound like fun. Oh, look, it was. It was absolutely enormous fun and, and Marina used to come home. I mean, we copped to really of the coldest winters, I think, for a long time in Europe, you know, on the continent and um, in England. It, it was really, really cold. It snowed. It wasn't meant to snow down at Plymouth. They told me it didn't. And I said, well, what are those great big fat white things dropping on the wind? Snowflakes. <laughs> yeah. What are those snowflakes doing there? And she used to come home. She'd train in the freezing cold at a really dire place called Brickfields, which I think 
just as unpoetic as it sounds. It does sound. <laughs> sounds pretty grim, doesn't it? And she would come home absolutely beaming and saying, oh, that was great. And I'd think, she's running around out in that freezing sleet and snow. It's yuck, but she loved it. And, I mean, this is how not seriously we took it in terms of, you know, it just seemed like a great big lot of fun. The, the coach eventually, or one of the running coach, I think it was, eventually approached me and said, Robin, um, do you think you could buy your daughter a bit of gear? And I went, oh, yeah? Oh, what, what do you mean? And he said, well, something a little bit more high tech because she, she was running around in a Bonds t-shirt and a pair of, I don't know. Freezing. Yeah, yeah, yes, exactly. All that jazz. But you know, that worked perfectly well in Australia. Didn't seem to worry. Yeah, yep, yep, you know, yep, yep. a pair of hand-me-down shorts from her older brother. So you know, I said, well, what do you have in mind? So we, we went out and bought a little bit of stuff. By the end of that year, which was 2010, for a, the triathlon component, uh, when I say triathlon, it's not like, you know, riding a bike. It's the, mm. the three components of the modern pentathlon. Marina had uh, competed at uh, British Nationals level, which was all, you know, made possible through this fantastic school. At that point, we were like, wow, this is, this is pretty good. This is cool. And then we came back to Australia. That was the end of that. Hey, Robin. Really? Do, <laughs> yeah. Do the, do the um, do Mr. Tippett's <laughs> and the school know that, that Marina competed at the Olympics? Look, I actually cracked and rang them about. Oh. So you would? I would have. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I reckon it's fantastic. Oh, thank you. About two weeks before the Olympics, I said to Gavin, oh, look, we really should let them know, you know. I spoke to, unfortunately, in a decade, all the staff who were there previously, you know, have kind of moved have on, changed. including the director. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And I, look, I never, I made the mistake, I never found out who whether Mr. Tippett's was still there. Um, and if he is, I really hope he doesn't mind that I've called him plump. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, sure he'll be, I'm sure he'll be just chuffed that uh, he's got an athlete that went to the Olympics. Well, it was, you know, uh, and, and in fact, John, in this regard, I'm really interested with, you know, you and your rugby. Did you come to that fully formed or was that something that you came to through a series of steps? I, I really am very curious about other athletes i honestly think i actually don't remember because i was so young but but i do remember the one thing is that my mum just came home and said to my dad oh john's gonna play rugby because all his little friends are doing it and, and he wants to do it and this is at mm-hmm. four or five years of age and wow. it was kind of an, a natural progression it just became uh part of my makeup and um clearly uh I wasn't good enough to play and or compete at the level that Marina has, but I've been able to stay involved in the sport in an administrative role at a professional level and I, I guess I get my fix that way. So it's, uh, it's, right. been, it's been very fortunate, the journey, actually. I played for a long time. I played 30 years and then, yeah, yeah, from sort of 5 to 35 or actually maybe even a little bit longer. I was 36, 37 when I stopped playing, so... And then, um, yeah. And you did, you did finish on an A-grade grand final, which wow. was a nice way to end. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, awesome. I did. I did. Uh-huh. Yeah, so it, it probably it probably is a little different to um, a sport like modern pentathlon, obviously, which is a – obviously, as you you labelled it, a sliding doors moment, isn't it, that mm, you, yeah. you turned up at that school and the opportunity to work overseas and and um, thankfully you ran into Mr Tippett's with, the, with his statement and all of a sudden <laughs> – 
here we are 11 years down the track talking about an Olympic birth. Yeah, yeah, that's you've, you've really nailed it. And I think one thing that came out um, from Olympics and some of the snippets that uh, of the promotion of the Olympics, hearing Ian Thorpe say, I was allergic to chlorine. <laughs> yeah, I heard that too. And, yeah. And, wow, that's really interesting. And hearing Matt Horton say that actually up until 10 years old, he really hated the water and swimming lessons, like, or, you know, he just didn't want to do it. And mm. um, it was this magical moment when he actually sort of put his head under and went under and he said it felt like flying. Yeah. And mm. I, I thought that was just amazing. It is fascinating, isn't it, how, how people continue and what that spark is to, um, I guess, uh, you know, entice them, for want of a better yeah. word, to, to keep yeah. going. You know, you said that uh, you were a really keen little Vegemite at five years old and I could just imagine you, um, you know, saying, <laughs> I want to I do that. I'm mates are doing that. And, you know, how passionate you would have come as a as a gradual thing probably passion built until you've built the whole you know career and yeah, life on it sort of thing and I know because uh, I did ask you about your mm. running career and you were a different story again with almost like the two bites at the cherry you were a talented youngster mm. but then stopped and then went back and you had back huge success as a what late 20s oh. I mean I did, yeah. yeah, yeah. Not made my first Absolutely. Australian team at twenty nine, so. which is what an extraordinary journey that is. And it's, I think, what strikes me is that each journey is as unique as each mm-hmm. individual athlete. Yeah, mm, you know, and and I th- and you know, this is probably no sort of um, disrespect to our own parents, but John and I probably do discuss this from time to time. Is that you know, our parents didn't have any, not didn't have the tools to probably, you know, I don't know, perhaps. Well, my, my knew nothing about footy. <laughs> well, my, Maybe that's, that's my, what I'm my trying dad to say. Up in England playing <laughs> soccer and, you know, his first foray to looking at rugby, rugby league, rugby union was when I was playing. So he was learning the game alongside me. Mm, mm. So that, that, that perhaps, you know, not suggesting that you have to have a no, the, the knowledge to be able to help your child, but, you know, it, it is interesting because I'm sure some parents do know a lot about the sport and then you do get the yeah. parents that know nothing. Well, you, you take know. Jess Fox's mm. parents. I mean, you know, one of the great Olympic yes. moments. I mean, really, I was absolutely glued to this Olympics. I thought there were so many fantastic moments and the, okay. the Aussies con- mm. conducted themselves with such decorum and such good grace and right across the board and Jess Fox the determination in on her face when she was doing the C2 not the K uh, sorry not two um C1 of course the the canoe one One. yeah it was a picture of athletic determination now Jess is um both mum and dad uh I mean yes um, Mr Fox I don't know what his Christian name is but did the most I think it's is it Richard is it Richard I'd have to look at his commentating yeah, that sounds right. It was calm, it was considered, it was wonderful. But Wasn't it? Oh, and obviously they know everything there is to know about that sport. And, mm-hmm. you know, in comparison, mm-hmm. I would have to say Gavin and I have come at certainly Marina's sport with the most enormous L-plates on and, and have made the biggest <laughs> mistakes along the way ever. You know, really, I, I feel like if I was being given a report card as a sporting parent, it would be... A B plus, and the comment would be: Robin tries hard, 
but he's not a naturally talented <laughs> pentathlon parent. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. That's, that's a lot better than oh, not working to ability. <laughs> that's, well, I suppose I should be grateful. Absolutely. All constantly distracted. Yeah. <laughs> yes, there is that one. Actually, I was going to say, and you've alluded to it a little bit, Robin, in the things that you've been sharing and the moments you've been sharing, how incredible have these Olympics been at, at giving us those backstories and, and at giving us insight into people's lives and taking us into their homes and, and hearing those little snippets of information that you would never have dreamt of? It's been a, I know being away here as a group and, and a lot of people obviously across Australia in lockdown, it's been a absolute saving grace for people as in it, it the disappointment when it ended was palpable everybody was like i can't yes. believe it's over because mm. yes. we have yes. loved it so much mm. Mm. that's an interesting point you raised john because i think this olympics was actually starting from a very subdued place i think mm-hmm. definitely and, and at that opening ceremony it it almost had a poignancy and a sadness to it and especially when the cameras panned around the stands and they were empty, the lack of spectators, it, I felt, know. it felt really, uh, yeah, it, it felt sad. not right. It just felt sad. And mm. But mm. amazingly, boy, when those Aussie swimmers started to turn it on for us all the pool, all the doubts about this Olympics started to fall away and, and, and another thing happened and that is a magic started to happen, uh, certainly amongst the Aussie team. And I thought it was just, I wondered whether it was us as parents because, you know, it was Marina's oh. Olympic debut. Mm. Maybe that's why this felt really special and different. And then I started to think, well, look, I've had so many friends say, oh, look, thank goodness for the Olympics. Otherwise, we would have gone nuts, mm-hmm. would have gone crazy. But mm-hmm. then two days ago, the AOC, who have been, I'd have to say, extraordinary on every level, they had a sort of like a finalisation for the parents and friends where they had, it was a, a teleconference and they'd invited in uh, three athletes and to, to talk about the um, Olympics experience. And they also said that it was even one who in um, the hockey brew goalkeeper, Rachel, and I should have written down her surname, but it's Rachel. Anyway, basically she had said that the lack of crowds was actually liberating and it allowed athletes Mm. to perform at a comfortable level. Now, if you'd probably interviewed her a week or so before, she would have said, well, you know, yeah, we all feel a bit sad having that crowd there. So it's Rachel Rachel Lynch. Rachel Lynch, Lynch. I think, is who you're thinking of. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Mm. And she made some amazing insights and it was exactly what, you know, we were saying that, that um, they're really, I, I think there's going to be a lot of introspection and analysis about this Olympics and how mm. really extraordinary things came out of it. Yeah, I did hear Kate Campbell actually interviewed the other day and she did say from adversity comes cohesion and she did really feel that that was quite mm. reflective in mm. that Australian team. And I, I thought, you know, I don't, I'm not very good with remembering uh, terms like that, but I, I, I did remember that and I thought, you know what, that's so true. Where they've all gone through some sort of adversity and, you know, you can clearly see that there was 
beautiful cohesion amongst the whole team. Yeah, and that's that's something that you know money can't buy. You know what was achieved with the Australian team and what was made possible by the AOC. And look, I, I hasten to add by the Japanese, very. who mm. you know that was a very brave call of theirs mm-hmm. to proceed. And all credit to them, they they proceeded in the mm. face of you know pretty enormous. Uh, opposition and pulled off an event that really transformed yeah. our lives for you know the good definitely good <laughs> few weeks anyway so robin what's the hardest thing about being a sports parent to an elite athlete it is not interfering when you're dying to and standing by <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> you say that so truthfully because well, you can take you can just take the take the word elite away from that and just say just a just a child just what's the hardest thing yeah not interfering very very apt <laughs> yeah. yeah sorry Robin I didn't mean to interrupt it just resonated no, so no, hard actually, for me I I no thank you I'm glad you took it away because that was actually my my mind went blank after that is definitely a very, very hard thing for parents. And, and, you know, like not just in athletics, not just in competing, you know, on the soccer field or the the rugby pitch and and not being that parent who screams and shouts and jumps up and down or whatever. Um, It's it's actually, you know, across children's lives in so many ways. You know, you have to give them Mm. the room and the scope to – Make their own mistakes, make their own choices, become yeah. become good losers, and you know don't mm. just talk up winning because you know if they put all their eggs in that winning basket, they are going to end up, you know, it's going to be ugly in the end. It's not going to be good if mm. if they're mm. predicating their entire well being and sense of self on just you know the gold medal. No. Nope. <laughs> in closing, I. I we, and we do this for all of our guests. Uh, if you did have one piece of advice for sports parents, and it can be more, but if it was one, what would it be? Okay. Well, bearing in mind the pre- for the you know the points that I just said about you know letting mm-hmm. the athletes uh, make their own choices, and certainly when they're young, choose their own sports. I think it's actually really important for parents to be prepared to find ways to enjoy the ride themselves. Because, you know, if you've got parents who angst it, get miserable about it, who are not prepared to step back and go, wow, look at the great things that, you know, are coming out of this, I think that's that's a, a, a great shame. And I think that both, you know, the parents can get great joy out of watching their athlete compete in ways that makes them proud, but, you know, they've probably sown the seeds of that through their great you know the great examples they set i'd say probably the same as like we put on um marina's yellow wristband enjoy the moment that's gold thank you for listening to this week's episode of sports parenthood please leave a review share with your friends or visit our website sportsparenthood.com.au to connect catch you next week